0: Well, good morning. Uh, Chuck is away, so he's asked me if I would uh, fill in for him this morning, and I'm glad to do so. Glad that you're here. Uh, we know that uh, there's a lot of folks in our, of our number that that continue to be listed on our care lines, and as we as we are reminded of those, we need to remember them in our prayers, and also remember uh, Chuck as, as as he's away. Thinking about those that we would have listed, it just seems that uh, this list gets bigger and bigger uh, sometimes, but uh, we do need to remember all of these in our prayers. Uh, Let's take just a moment and uh, have a word of prayer before we begin our study together. Father, we're just so thankful that you have allowed us to come here and assemble the opportunity that we have to study your word father is uh, is 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 one that we should uh, we should be grateful for and not take for granted we're thankful father for the word that you have left behind us to guide our lives and mold our mold our ways And we pray father that as we uh, as we labor to to study your word and learn more of your will for our lives that we might be more and more confirmed uh, conformed uh, to the way of life that you would want us to live. And we pray, Father, as we study even today, that you would be with us, uh, that you would guide our study and uh, be with us all, that we might gain the things that you would have us to know. We pray, Father, that you would be with those uh, on our care lines who are suffering. Uh, we pray that you would be with those who are uh, who are facing surgery, those who are recovering from surgery, those who are confined at home. We pray for those who care for their needs and uh, tend to their uh, tend to their physical and emotional uh, welfare. And we pray that you would uphold them and strengthen them. Forgive us our sins as we now enter in this study together. In Christ's name, amen. We're studying in this quarter uh, the miracles of of Jesus, and today we're going to be looking at one of those miracles found in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8 verses 22 through 26 uh, contains uh, the miracle that we're going to be studying. This miracle is one that is unique among all of the miracles that Jesus performed. Uh, it is unique in a couple of ways. We know about, the, we know about the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We know that they're called synoptic gospels because essentially they cover the same events or circumstances but from different perspectives of the various authors, human authors, that is. But in Mark, chapter 8, we find a miracle that is recorded only by Mark. Uh, Mark actually has two miracles, one in chapter 7, uh, healing of a uh, deaf and uh, mute uh, person, and here in chapter 8, the healing of a blind man. So in that, this miracle is unique in that it is recorded only by Mark and not by Luke and Matthew. It is also unique, uh, as we'll see the text, because it will show us uh, a miraculous healing done in, we would have to say, progressive fashion. As we look at this healing, we'll see that there's a little bit different than what we typically see in the healings uh, that were done by Jesus. Mark chapter 8, verse 22, beginning, And they came to Bethsaida, And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. Now, there's some things about this, this passage that uh, I think that if we just pluck that miracle out and looked at it alone, uh, there's some strange things, that at least strange to me, uh, in, this, in this passage we see uh, Jesus doing some things that are a little bit different the text tells us in verse 22 that they came to Bethsaida uh, I think you probably know but if you have your Bibles and you have a map of, the, uh, of Palestine and you see up in the region of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee is marked a place called Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a, at the time, other small village about three miles to the east of Capernaum. Historians and archaeologists tell us that this was likely a fishing village at the time of Jesus. Uh, more likely, a a, a fishing village and, and landing port for the larger town of Capernaum, that was a little bit of ways a uh, little bit of ways from the from the sea itself. So Bethsaida is a, is an important city for several reasons, even though it's small, it has some significance. Uh, when we think about Jesus, as he walked upon the shores of the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee, he called to him those apostles. And three of those that are called, well, maybe we could say four of those that were called. Um, Andrew and Peter certainly were from Bethsaida. Uh, And whether John and his brother James were from Bethsaida or nearby Capernaum, they were from that region also. Later on, we'll find a man named uh, Philip. Philip also was from Bethsaida. So this is a place that Jesus has called his disciples. In later years, Bethsaida would be declared a greco roman city by Herod Philip, and he would uh, declare it a city, and he would name it Julius after Julia, the daughter of Emperor Augustus. So what do we know about Bethsaida? A lot of events occurred here or around here, Very close to Bethsaida, we know that there were some 5,000 that were fed by Jesus in a miraculous way at one time with just a few loaves and some fishes. We know that occurred very close to this place. We know there's been several healings that have occurred. But of Bethsaida, along with Capernaum, Jesus did not have kind words. We read over in the book of Matthew in chapter 11 and verse 21 and also we find in Luke chapter 10 and verse 13 where Jesus actually pronounces woe on Capernaum and Bethsaida. He says of them, if the miracles that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have come to repentance. But he rejected Capernaum and Bethsaida, because for whatever reason, largely the people of these villages, these communities, rejected Jesus, rejected the teachings of Jesus. So we find here one of those miraculous things that were done that would, should cause uh, people to believe on Jesus, but it did not have that desired effect what brings jesus to this place to begin with we we see the chronology we remember that jesus had taken a time to up in uh, up in tyre he had gone into the gentile area an area that we now would know as the country of lebanon and then from there he came down to the southeastern portion just south and east of the sea of galilee in the decapolis uh, region made up of ten cities and he stayed there for a while and it was in that region some four thousand were were fed with another miraculous feeding different from the feeding of the five thousand. This was a four thousand gathering and Jesus fed them in a miraculous way. From there he went to Magadan on the western shore northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee and from there they entered a boat and went to the other side well the other side they went to Bethsaida as we follow the story of Jesus he goes from there up to Caesarea Philippi which is just north of Bethsaida and from there he goes up on the mount the Mount of Transfiguration, which many, if not most scholars, believe was Mount Hermon, just to the north of Caesarea Philippi. So Jesus is on his way to the Mount of Transfiguration as this miracle occurs. So some people brought to him while he's there at Bethsaida, more or less a way stop on his way to the Mount of Transfiguration. And they brought him a blind man, and they begged him to touch him. I think we would all agree that touch is really important to a blind person, right? If you can't see, most people see by touch. So touch is very important to this blind man. As we see also Jesus performing this miracle of restoring sight, we see that he is fulfilling a prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 35 and verse 5 prophesies that the Messiah, the one that would come, that prophet that would come would be one who could restore the sight of the blind. hearing of the deaf, speech to the mute. He would restore the ability to walk to those who are lame. So this is one of the fulfillments of the... This is the fulfillment of one of the prophecies of Isaiah, as recorded in Isaiah chapter 35. Now, let's take a, take a look at what the rest of the text says. He took the blind man by the hand led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Now, when we look at those verses, several questions come into our minds, I think. One of the questions would be, why would Jesus take this man outside the village? Why would he take him outside? Does anybody have any any thoughts or conjecture on why he would remove him from the population to perform this miracle? good thought many scholars would agree with you any other thoughts It seems that either we could make a case for, and and it's really, I guess, not important, not that important anyway, but we could make a a case for either these people, Jesus knew their hearts, and he knew that they would not understand or not accept the spiritual nature of this gift. Uh, This was, after all, a a Greco-Roman world that was familiar with magic and sorcery and they may have looked upon this as just another one of those uh, those uh, things that were done with incantations and magic and sorcery and reject the, the holy power of God that was involved. Maybe that was it. Uh, some have just simply, uh, some scholars have, have alluded to the fact that j- because of the nature of these people to begin with, the fact that they had Rejected Jesus and his teaching that he didn't want that miracle to be uh, broadcast widely within them but for whatever reason he didn't want the people in the city to know about this about this miracle so he took him outside now he says that and when he had spit on his eyes compare that with the other miraculous healing of a blind person that's recorded uh, in the book of John. You remember how Jesus used spittle there? What did he do in that particular case? It's in John chapter 9 and verse 6. Yes, he missed it, mixed it with the dirt, with the clay, and he made a, uh, some kind of... Uh, poultice or something and put that on his eyes but here it said he spit directly on this person's eyes now to to me that sounds a little disgusting you know I, i really don't want to spit on you and i don't want you to spit on me certainly don't want you to spit in my face but that's what jesus did with this man go ahead Yes. That's right. Now, having said that, that also tells us that this man was probably not always blind because he at least recognized what a man should look like. So here we have something that's a little different. Now, we get into the the meat of my questions. Here are my questions. Why does Jesus heal this man only partially at first? What is it about this healing that is different from all the others? When we see a healing of Jesus in the Bible, what do we see happening? Instant. With the man in John chapter 9 and verse 6 when Jesus... Spit upon the ground and made the poultice and, and, and put that on his eyes, and he restored his high sight, and immediately he saw. When he healed the paralytic, he said, "Take up your bed and walk." And immediately he got up, took his bed and walked. But here, he did it progressively, gradually. It was not instantaneous. So my question to me is why? So we have to look at the context. If we take that out, that's why this is a little strange, a little odd to me if we take this out of its context. Is he not able to fully heal this man immediately? Has he lost his power? We know that's not a satisfactory answer has he become uncertain in his ability to heal we know that's not the answer why does he ask the man what do you see did he not know if he's all knowing did he not know This seems strange. Do you think it's just a matter that this man didn't have the proper faith in Jesus? I don't think that's it either. Do you? So, when we think about all of the things that are at least makes this a little bit strange we have to look at this passage in its context. So let's look, let's look at the context of this passage, this context in which it was performed. If we look at Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 8. Let's think about the context in which this is written. We saw, even in chapter 7, as chapter 7 uh, closes, Jesus healed a deaf man. And at the the conclusion of chapter 7 in verse 37, this is what his apostles are saying. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. There's a question. Who is this? that can do these things. You'll remember in chapter 4 of the book of Mark, Jesus at one point healed and he said, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees questioned, who is this? You know that only God can forgive sins. So who is this? You'll remember when Jesus was in the boat in chapter 6 of Mark. They're going across the Sea of Galilee and a, a great storm arose. And Jesus is asleep. You remember in that context... The disciples come down to Jesus and wake him and said, Lord, don't you care about us? We have a storm that's about to overtake us and you're laying up here asleep. We're doing all we can to keep this boat afloat and you're laying here asleep. Don't you even care? You remember what Jesus said? Peace be still. And the wind ceased and the waters calmed. And what was the reaction of the apostles? Who is this man that even the winds and the waves would obey him? There's a question that continues to, to be asked. Orally at times, but certainly within themselves, they continue to ask this question who is this who is this man and so let's look in context we see in verses 1 through 10 that there was a great and he's down in the decapolis down in the southeastern southeast of the sea of galilee across the jordan river and he is now has a group of people who have followed him, some 4,000. And his disciples come to him in verse 4. These people are hungry. And the disciples come to him uh, and ask about food. He says, I have compassion in verse 2 on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and I had nothing to eat. And, If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Notice what the disciples said. How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, these are the same disciples that asked this question. These that asked this question are the same disciples that, he, that witnessed him feeding the 5,000. What was it? Five loaves and two little fishes or five fishes and two little loaves, one or the other. And they took up 12 baskets of fragments. These same disciples now are saying, Lord, how are we going to do that how are we going to do that have they forgotten the feeding of the 5,000 have they forgotten Do they not know who he is and he had how many loaves do you have he said seven and he directed the crowd to sit down and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks he broke them Gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set before the crowd. They had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he set those also before them. They ate and were satisfied. And they took up of the broken pieces left over seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got in the boat with the disciples and went to the district of Dalmanitha. That's on the... Western side so they're going All the way across the sea of Galilee In a boat But these Disciples who have been Witnesses to the feeding of the 5,000 Don't recognize The power of God That resides in this Jesus They don't Recognize him Then we find The Pharisees The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. We might somewhat excuse these Pharisees, I, I guess. They were quite a skeptical lot but there again we find Jesus even though he's performed numerous miracles in this region that the Pharisees have been witness to and certainly have heard about but they too ask the question who is this who is this man What is he? He's something different of that we know. But who is he? So now we get down to verses 14 through 25. And Jesus teaches a lesson. He's in the boat with his disciples. He's going across to the other side from Magadha uh, uh, to Bethsaida. And while he's there, he's teaching them a lesson, a spiritual lesson. The lesson is about leaven. And he talks about uh, the leaven. And he calls them, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. There's a spiritual message. This is not about baking bread. There's a spiritual lesson involved here. What is this what is this point? Go ahead. Yes. The point that he's making is you still don't know you still don't know who I am. You still don't know. You still don't understand. And we're going to get down to uh, this miracle and then look after the miracle. Immediately after the miracle, in verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? What were their answer? How did they answer? Yeah. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. That's what Herod said. He's put John the Baptist to death, but he fears John the Baptist has come back to life to haunt him. Or maybe he's one of the prophets. After all, the, the Old Testament tells us that Elijah is to, is to come back. Not understanding that it would be John the Baptist himself would be the forerunner that was being spoken of. So they're uncertain as to who he is. These apostles, these disciples say... Well, maybe you're John the Baptist. Others, others say you're Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. Certainly, these people recognized this man was different. They recognized this man was special. They recognized there was something about him that was unlike anybody else. They recognized him as a great teacher Even the Pharisees called him rabbi. They recognized him as possibly even a prophet sent from God. You see, these apostles that have been with Jesus all this time, these 12 that have been called, Jesus is showing us, Mark is revealing to us that they're like this blind man. They've been with Jesus all this time, but they cannot see. They have eyes to see, but they cannot see. They have ears to hear, but they do not hear. They don't know what they've got right before them. That's the spiritual lesson that this miracle is to teach. But then we find Peter. But he asked him, but who do you say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? Well, uh, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're one of the prophets. But he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, the impetuous one, speaks up and he says, you are the Christ. You are are the Christ so Peter acknowledges here that their vision is getting better they're like this blind man who could see partially they recognized him as the Christ but we're going to look a little bit more but what kind of Christ were they looking for? Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 tells us that even after 40 days after the res- resurrection, he has spent those 40 days with these same, uh, these same disciples. And in chapter 1 and verse 6 of the book of Acts, they ask Jesus a question. Is it now time for you to establish your kingdom? What kind of Christ were they looking for? See, these disciples didn't get it. Just like you and I sometimes don't get it. They didn't understand who this man was and why he was here and what he came to do. That's why this miracle that leaves us with so many questions. Why did Jesus do it that way? It's the only miracle recorded in the Gospels that was not an instantaneous healing. This one was done gradually because these disciples did not instantaneously, when they were called, come and follow me, they left everything and followed Jesus but they didn't know what they were following they didn't know who they didn't know why they knew he was something special but they didn't know exactly what that special was they're like the blind man that sees a little bit sees a little bit but does not see clearly so Peter reveals to us their their understanding that he was the Christ so this miracle that we have sandwiched in between these, these passages, I would call it a living parable. Jesus talked so many times in parables. He says, you know, uh, it's like the king that went away and the servants. He would say, it's like this or it's like that. And here he's using this miracle, this miraculous healing, as a form of living parable to say, you apostles are just like this man. You see a little bit, but you don't see clearly. You see a figure of things, but you don't have a clear understanding. The time for clear understanding for these apostles would really not come until... Acts chapter 2 when they received the power from on high in Acts chapter 2 the clear understanding of what their mission was now would come into clear focus but at this time they didn't really get that they didn't really get that we know that because in verse 31 he begins he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things Mark, right here in the middle of his gospel, in this particular passage, uses this miraculous healing, this unique, this different healing, as a transition point. From here on out in Matthew, uh, Mark's gospel, we're going to focus on Jesus, the sacrifice, the death, the burial, the resurrection. We're going to focus on what he came to earth to fulfill. Before that, Mark talked about Jesus and what he did. After this, he'll talk about Jesus in terms of what he came to do. There's a transition in this particular passage. So we find this miracle, as I said, a living parable. These seemingly disconnected stories have a definite connection among them. The apostles here have gone from a lack of sight to who Jesus actually was to having their sight restored to the understanding that he is the Christ. But their recognition of him as the Christ was not Full vision of what the Christ mission was. We see that when he began to teach them, he told them plainly that he was going to die. In verse 32, the gall of that man, Peter, you and I would have probably done the same thing. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine? See, Peter still, the apostle still, didn't understand. Even in the garden, when the mob came for Jesus, Peter still didn't understand. What did he drew, do? He drew his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. He was ready to fight, fight to the death under the leadership of Jesus, his Savior, his King, his Messiah. But he had no idea that Jesus was not coming to establish an earthly kingdom. That was a revelation. His eyes would be fully opened later. That's why this miracle is in there. To make us understand who Jesus is. What his purpose not was. What his purpose is. And how we should view Jesus. Clearly as the only savior available to mankind. We should see him clearly. He moves from his identity as Christ to what being Christ meant to be the sacrifice for mankind. Any closing thoughts? Absolutely, Mark. That is a great, great analogy because that is exactly what I hope that we will take from that lesson because it is that uh, already but not yet idea. We are the kingdom of God, but the fullness of that kingdom we don't know yet. Uh, So thank you very much for your time and attention.